Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the theater's biggest stars and creators, on Broadway, off Broadway, and banding together for a celebration of a musical theater great. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking about the Liz Suedos Project. It's a recently released album that pulls together a roster of rising all-stars to perform and honor the songs of Elizabeth Suedos, the late musical theater artist who was a major influence on many of today's creators and performers, but remains less well-known than it seems like she should be. The Liz Suedos Project features a group of artists including Michael R. Jackson, Dave Malloy, Ali Stroker, Amber Gray, and Taylor Mack, among many others, performing a selection of Suedos' tunes from musicals like her best-known piece, Runaways, as well as Dispatches, Atonement, Lullaby and Goodnight, and more. With me are two of the artists involved in creating the album, album producer and longtime Suedos collaborator Chris Kukul, and the writer-composer-performer Shana Taub. They're both in the virtual studio with me to talk about the role Suedos and her work played in their own creative development, and Suedos' enduring influence on the musical theater overall. Hi, Shane and Chris. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Gordon. Happy to be here. Um, so, Chris, you're the producer of the album, and you worked with Liz as her music director for a while. So I want I thought I'd start by asking you, for listeners who might not know, who's Liz Suedos? Tell us a bit about her story and her work. Um, well, it's a, it's a, a long, amazing story. Yeah. Um, Liz Suedos was a composer and director and writer and illustrator and filmmaker and just about any kind of maker that you can imagine. Yeah. Um, she started her career in the late 60s in New York at La Mama. Um, and uh, from there, started working at the public theater and worked all over the city, all over the country, um, uh, doing musicals, doing plays, doing concerts. Um, and uh, she, uh, we both, we met in, two, I met her in 2000. Um, she's also taught at NYU, um, which is how Shana knows Liz as well. Um, right. Yeah. And uh, what, well, actually, Shana, tell us about um, your, uh, your first encounter with her. Did you meet her while you were at NYU? I did, yes, right when I met Chris as well. So I came to school in 2005 and that was the first fall that at NYU, they were doing this thing called the reality show. That's a, one of the big parts of Liz's legacy with working with students was the show that New York University create had, you know, sort of commissioned Liz to create and conceive and direct with a group of undergraduate students as an orientation review for incoming freshmen at NYU um, to uh, promote this wellness exchange hotline that NYU created. So it's this review that's all about all any issue you could imagine, you know, an incoming freshman at NYU dealing with and mental health and um, all kinds of issues. And, and it's really fabulous. And anyway, the first installment of it was my freshman year. So I arrived oh. almost 15 years ago to this August. I was 16. I like moved my stuff into my dorm. My parents hmm. dropped me off. I, I walked down to the Eisner Lubin Auditorium and 4th Street and saw a Lisuedo's musical, like within four hours of living <laughs> in New York. 
That was my en- literal entry. And it was, you know, Justin Levine was in that. So just an incredible wow. cast in that reality show. And it just totally blew my mind. Like, and I, what I say is I hadn't thought of creating, uh, my own work. I just didn't know that was a possibility until I met Liz. And when I heard that this was this show that this woman, Liz Suedos made with the students, I just was spellbound. And then my sophomore year is when I met her and I want, I knew I kind of wanted to write, but I'd never done it. I came to college only as a performer mm-hmm. and my friend Sam Pinkleton was taking one of Liz's classes and he was like, you should come to this class. You would love it. And so then I, I showed up at Liz's class where Chris was the music director of that class in the spring of 2007. And that just kind of my world began in that class, basically. And what, and so Chris, what did, what projects did you work with Liz on throughout all this? You worked on uh, this project, for instance, the one that Shana was talking about and what else? That's right. So the first thing I did was um, actually a a Tisch School of the Arts at NYU Playwrights Horizons Theater School senior project um, called The Violent Project, which is where I first met Liz and was my first job as a, a music director. Um, so I was starting at like negative zero right there. Um, and so we did that show together. We then, yeah, we did some workshops, I think. And then we spent a couple of years working for the National Theater of Greece, mm. um, doing like ancient Greek tragedies in these giant amphitheaters with people chanting and uh, lots of drama. Um, yeah, sure. Pretty amazing. Um, and <laughs> then, uh, and then Liz was actually the re- basically the resident, a resident composer of the Flea Theater for many years. And we did mm. three shows there. We did a show called Jabu. We did a show called Casper Hauser, and then her final show, which was um, the Nomad. Which and Casper Hauser and the Nomad were both written with Aaron Courtney. Right. Um, and we and then we talked together at NYU. The show that Shana is talking about, the, the reality show, um, I never actually worked on with Liz because uh, I was generally um, I used to work at Williamstown in the summer, so I was hmm. always gone in the summers, and that show would always happen in the summer. Right. Um, yeah. And what for? This is a question for each of you. What what chimed with you about her and her work and her working style that uh, made you made her such sort of an influence on you? Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, I always feel like she, you know, I first encountered Liz as a teacher and her, mm. her teaching is one of her many superpowers in addition to her making, you know, the work itself, but is that she really knew how to challenge a young artist out of their comfort zone. I mean, you know, I came into her class at age 17 and then, uh, right after that class, she hired me to music direct and conduct her new oratorio at the cathedral, St. John the Divine. I was 18 years old. I had never music directed or conducted shit. Uh, Like I just didn't, I was not ready for that job like at all. But Liz pushed me off the cliff. Like, and she was just like, you're ready, go. And that sort of real (laughs) daring belief in young Mm -hmm. people, she made me, she believed in me before I believed in myself. And she's so that, I mean, just that real fearlessness, she, that that is just always stuck with me. And I mean, now that I'm like transitioning as I get older, you know, meeting with young students and stuff, it's like I really try and push that forward of she she didn't give you any training wheels in the best way. She just she was like, you're a, you're a composer, compose. I was like, I don't know if I'm a composer. She's like, you are. Go right. You know, I was like, I don't know if I she's like, go do it. What are you talking about? Just do it. And right. that's always really stuck with me. The story is very similar for me. I mean, I 
I had never music directed before. And, and when you're a music director with Liz, you're also an arranger and an orchestrator and a conductor, and you do a lot of things and you contribute to the writing. And, um, and as Shana said, she just, you just do it. She, she believes that you can do it and then you do it. It's like a weird magical thing that happens. And she knows that she knows who was able to do what she knew who was able to do what. Um, and it, uh, it just forces you to, to get over your fear in an instant. Right. Shana? Mm -hmm. Completely. Completely. Well, uh, now that as you're talking about both of you, as you're talking about the work that she encouraged you to do, this is now, you know, Chris, you talked about all the work you did as her music director. In addition to music directing, that's all the work you did and were doing on Beetlejuice, the musical up until it, uh, up until it shuttered, right? That's, that's, that's right. Um, I don't like that word, Gordon. Um, Sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, that's right. And I um, generally, the projects that I work on, I, um, you know, they're different. Every music director role on a different piece functions in a different way. And there are tons of different duties that go into making a musical. Um, f- for me, what I love is being part of the development of something. And it's the thing I learned with Liz. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not so interested in just showing up and, and teaching like an existing thing that, it, and then, you know, just doing a show. So, um, I love the writing side of it. I love the creation side of it. Um, so I, I look for projects where I can do all of those things. And right. Sometimes people let me do it. And then, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And Shana, you, uh, the, as you were talking about, you know, your work with Liz and some of the people you encountered or uh, were in the same class with, these are people whose names a lot of uh, theater fans will recognize. And that just kind of points to the fact that Liz Suedos worked with sort of an astonishing number of people who have gone on to um, work regularly and to great success in the theater. Yeah, it's, it's, there's thousands of us walking around who really, who are disciples of hers you know it's like you peel yeah. back michael friedman was of course tom Kitt. i mean yeah. there's jason Mark brown i mean there's so and the list goes on i mean i'm hardly doing justice to a comprehensive list of names but right. you feel and you feel that sort of fellow you know my friend stephanie shu who's on the album calls it being a liz kid yeah. and like you mm-hmm. sort of feel that fellow liz kid thing when you hear someone else and they're like oh i did this with liz it's just you immediate there's this immediate connection and what is there uh can you characterize the thing that unites all the people who studied under Liz and what they all took away from, from her? I don't know what you would say, Chris. I mean, it's, she's sort yeah. of unique. Everyone had their own unique yeah. process with her, but mm. it's just, what would you say to that, Chris? Well, I, mean, I, think, like I think also anybody who's worked with her, she expected a, a, a level of collaboration and ownership Mm. that people either took to and and loved or didn't. And the people who love that um, are people who are creators and um, and those are the people that, that are still around that are all in her, her group, the Liz kids. Um, yeah. And they all had that experience probably for the first time with Liz of being a part of creating something. Um, and the same thing that Shane and I are saying, it was like, it's the just do it. And then, that, and then all of a sudden, everything else in, in your artistic life gets a little bit easier. Totally. Right. And so, so that made me think of, there's a real, a sense of rigor. 
I mean, she was so rigorous and get Mm. your consonants out and really just the (laughs) total commitment. And that, you know, my husband, Matt and I, who I met in Liz's class, who's also a Liz kid, anytime, you know, I've been behind the table in auditions and seen NYU reality show kids come in. You just know. It's just that total rigor. There's just like this element of discipline. There was extreme discipline. I would say like I learned punctuality from Liz. I mean, just actually punctuality matters to the process. It's not just a petty thing. And you really, you feel that sense of rigor and discipline combined with total silliness. It was like high rigor, high silliness, like in equal measure. (laughs) Right, right. And what, as we've talked about her work, you know, she's done everything from, you know, Runaways on Broadway to Chris, the shows you were talking about in Greece to working with the students at NYU. What unites uh, Liz Suedos' work for you? What is the thing that is the common thread that she brought to the things she did? Um, I, I think that she was always completely true to herself and her aesthetic. Um, and for, for better or for worse, um, she, her, the thing that we've been talking about is the collaboration. She, that was always the way she worked and she believed the theater was sacred and she believed in rigor, as Shana is saying, and it was apparent in everything, especially the rigor. I mean, mm. um, you can hear she believed that music was there was a language in consonants beyond the meaning of words, um, and that that was where like rhythm and music came from. Um, and and her belief in she had this love of harmony and with voices singing in harmony, and she thought she always said that she believed in God. Because when people sing in harmony, she saw God. And everything that she wrote had had people singing in harmony was her, her favorite thing. Um, yeah. It, yeah. And Shana, one of the ways that uh, listeners of this podcast will know your work is the work you did for Public Works, the songs you wrote, not working with that project. And that the Public Works is seems has a you know massive community element to it that seems to chime with the kind of work that Liz did. It feels like she was very engaged socially and with the community when she thought about theater. Am I right about that? Absolutely. And that's why when Public Works called me up, it just was the, the quickest yes I've ever given. I mean, like it because I think Liz instilled in me so early since she, she was the first writer I worked with, the first person I worked with on creating work at all. Mm. She has that ingrained political and social art for the people consciousness. And I kind of took it for granted since it was the first thing I encountered and only Mm. upon working with others that maybe didn't share that. I was like, Oh, not everyone has that. That way when you grow up with something, you're just, I was like, Oh, that's the way art is for the people of the people by the people, like to humanize the things that matter to communities of the day. And like, that's his purpose. And it, it's just something I had never questioned, you know, like my first, Right after I graduated, Matt Gehring, my husband and I, who Liz hired us to work with her with a group of young people in Washington Heights to create this musical um, dealing with, you know, I could get into it, but just an issue in their community, healing a racial divide. And it was just the first jobs I had were, were doing that. And so, yeah, doing the work with Public Works in these last five years has really regrounded me to that principle that Liz was instilled in me. And in terms of... Can either of you, like Shana, for instance, you've, you're working on a, a couple of musicals coming up. There's a show with the public called The Suffragists that a lot of people are very excited to see. Um, and you're also working on the Devil Wears Prada musical. Um, are there 
Are there moments in either of those, in working on either of those, where you really felt Liz's uh, guidance? Totally. I mean, what's funny is both the shows, I feel like they seem so different, but they're actually both about the central relationship in both shows is an intergenerational relationship between women, Mm. like navigating their ambition. And like, you know, there's sort of like a, and I obviously like, that's a relationship I had with Liz (laughs) of her. And when I, you know, Liz was not that Liz ever abused me like Miranda Priestly abuses her. <laughs> like, I mean, let me let the record show. But I've had yeah. chuck- moments of chuckling you know, when I'm talking to my collaborators on that project and we're talking about the person in our life, you know, like those intergenerational relationships you have, those mentors you have. Liz comes up for me a lot. And even at this, you know, so it's I've really actually been thinking of her just in my own experience. And then what I was talking about silliness, you know, there's a song in my suffrage musical that's sort of a, it's imagining a debate in the house of representatives in 1915 of, of women's suffrage and sort of turning all the congressmen into clown characters. Mm. And that is pure Liz. Like when I first played the demo for Matt, he was like, okay, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> so for sure. She's, she's always shown up. Yeah. I'll have more with Shayna and Chris right after the break. And now, here's more, with Chris Kugel and Shayna Taub talking about the Liz Suedos Project. Let's talk a little bit about the album. It grew out of a concert that uh, the two of you were involved in uh, for American Songbook at Lincoln Center in 2017. Did this, or at least, that is my understanding. Did it, in fact, did this album grow out of that concert? It did, yeah. So Lauren yeah. Fitzgerald and I uh, yep. put that yep. concert yep. together, and yep. um, it was it was pretty astounding. I mean, we had... A, and what was the impetus for that? She had died, I guess, the year before, and it was a celebration? That's right. That's right. Yep. So um, I guess the impetus actually was we had a memorial service for Liz, um, and it... it there were a lot of performances at the memorial and, and it, there was a lot of music that people hadn't heard and hadn't either hadn't heard in a while or weren't familiar with. Mm. And um, there was a desire to, to keep pushing her legacy forward. Um, And so we put the, this concert together um, and we wanted to keep continuing the legacy. And, you know, as, as, as we know, musical theater, I mean, music lives or dies, on cast recordings. And because Liz really only had one sort of known cast recording, um, a lot of her catalog. Runaways, that's Runaways you're talking about? Runaways, yes, sir. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that's right. There were a couple others, um, Mm -hmm. but that's the main thing that she's known for. So we we just wanted to make sure that there was some record of this amazing catalog. Um, And we we did that concert with these amazing performers. And then we we decided that the other angle that we wanted to tell was that her influence on the next generation of musical theater composers is um, more and more apparent every day. And so half of the album is made up of writers, Shayna, Grace McLean, Michael R. Jackson, Taylor Mack, um, the Banksons. They all happen to be amazing performers as well. But, um, but we really wanted to show the connection between this, this legacy and catalog and the next generation of the, the downtown theater tradition that's now being thrust uptown. Um, yeah. And did you bring the idea to Ghostlight, Ghostlight Records, which released it? Yeah. And, with Kurt George. Were, 
and were they, you know, one of the things that always surprises me about Liz Suedos is that she, fewer people know her work than I feel like should. Um, mm-hmm. And what, like, was, did that take any convincing for, for the Ghostlight people? I mean, they're pretty theater centric and do a lot of cast recordings anyway. They do. I, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of convincing initially, mm, right. um, but there was a lot of like, let's, can we, are we going to do it? Can we do it? Mm, um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think Kurt knew, was definitely familiar with Liz and knew Liz and, and saw the value of, of, of putting an album together. Yeah. Um, and they're also starting to, to, uh, do a series of legacy recordings. They did, you know, obviously the Jonathan Larson project and the Michael Friedman right. recordings and now the Liz project right. so it fits in with their, um, with their concept. Yeah. And Shana, tell us about the song that you sang both at the concert and recorded for the album. Yeah. Yeah. This song. So this, um, I was mentioning before when I was 18, when she pushed me off the cliff to music direct that oratorio, mm. this song is from that oratorio, which yeah. was called atonement. Um, around the themes of Yom Kippur and the, the music was all Liz, but the texts were a combination of liturgical texts and different poets and whatnot. And this song, uh, you do not have to be good. The words are from a Mary Oliver poem called wild geese. Mm. And I just, it just is the, I, I rem, you know, remember so much of the music from atonement very fondly and different strains will come through my head at different points over the years. But this is really the one that I've always just returned to since that, which was 13 years ago in 2007, um, yeah. and so it, and just important to me to kind of, to bring, bring a piece of that oratorio. And I'm so, so proud and happy that it's included on the record. Yeah. And in terms of the sound of each of these songs on the, on the record there, it's extremely wide ranging, which is a mm-hmm. sort of characteristic of Liz's work, but what, yeah. in terms of what each of these individual versions of these songs, where did that sound come from? Chris, was that you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, um, we looked at sort of the existing arrangements of each of the songs and, and mm-hmm. some things were drastically rearranged. You know, some of this stuff from Runaways sounds nothing like it did in, yeah. in the cast album of Runaways. Um, other stuff exists as it, as Liz wrote it. Um, but I think that the, the, the vast array of, of styles and instrumentation and sounds that, that is what was being true to Liz. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, you hear all of these different things and it sounds, you like kind of can't believe that one person wrote all of these things, mm. but then you like think about it and you're like, oh, actually it does sound like a singular voice, even though everything is drastically different. Right. Yeah. And why we've all been sort of alluding to this all along, why do you think more people don't know about Liz Suedos? Oh, that's well, a, t- a couple of reasons. Number one, because of the cast recording issue that a lot of yeah. her shows in the seventies um, and, and early eighties went unrecorded. You know, she was, she was basically a, a resident composer at the public theater. Joseph Papp really took Liz under his wing and she did um, obviously runaway started there. She did a yeah. Alice in Wonderland starring Meryl Streep. Um, right. She did about like a, maybe eight or 10 shows, full productions at the public. Wow. Um, and, and I think that they, you know, Liz didn't have a desire to be commercial or safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sh- that desire exists today and it's a little more accepted today, I think. Right. Um, and I think she was a little bit ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Shana, what, what do you think? Yeah, well, I think she, 
was so relentlessly prolific and so relentlessly forward thinking. And it was always, let's keep making, let's keep going. Let's make another piece, another piece, another piece. And that she was so concerned, primarily concerned with the work itself and the nurturing of her ensembles and students that I, you know, this is my opinion, but I don't think she was as invested in her own legacy or mythology as maybe some other writers can be. And this, I mean, to her credit and that she just wasn't as concerned with it. You know, right now I'm studying some activists in the suffrage movement who I, it makes me think of Liz because they were just keep going, keep going, keep going. They never really stopped to write the book. And I think, you know, a lot of suffrage history isn't remembered. And of course there's the larger issue of the invisibility of the feminist narratives, which I don't think is unrelated to why Liz isn't remembered too, but just that they didn't really stop to write the book. I think that Liz, you know, I wish so badly that there were cast recordings available of all those shows, but I think part of it, yes, she just wanted to keep going, keep making, keep, you know, didn't really stop to look back. She was always about the now and the future. Right. That's that's very true. That's very true. And I will just add one thing is that um, she, as a writer, she would, she would write something and she would get it out and then she would be done with it. And she didn't want to spend years and years and years tweaking things. It was never her style. Um, and also it was part of this, the, the period of time too. You know, obviously we all know now musicals take 15 workshops and years and years and years. And it didn't, you know, when Joe Papp was at the public theater, they would throw a show up. Right. Um, and there was less risk in a sense. And, and I think um, that that's another thing too, that it was, things were kind of off, often in early stages, um, ready for the next stage, but Liz had already moved on to the next thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and part of the hope of this album, I know, is to, to you know, exp- bring her work to more people and give her give give her work the chance to be heard by uh, people who are, you know, are maybe coming into it through their familiarity with the work of all these artists that uh, are recording on the album and these artists that they've had an influence on. Um, do you, we're at a moment right now in the theater industry as we're all sort of rethinking the way theater, particularly commercial theater is going to kind of exist for a while as it goes suddenly more, you know, local and far less tourist on the Broadway industry, uh, in -hmm. particular, is there a chance, do you think of Liz's spirit somehow working into, or even one of her works herself, a sort of working, uh, its way into, the system uh, with a presence that it hasn't had previously, do you think? Yeah, Shana, you want to? Yeah, completely. I mean, I feel (laughs) Liz's presence right now, you know, sitting last night, kneeling in a silent 30 minutes outside Gracie Mansion. Like, you know what I mean? Like you feel, I just feel like there's never been a more potent time for her work. And I, I think this album that, you know, I wasn't as directly involved in the making of the album, so I feel like I can really gush that I that Chris and just did such an extraordinary, phenomenal, mind blowing job at capturing Liz's spirit on this record, yeah. beginning to end. I just think it's such a masterwork that she would have absolutely loved, and I have no doubt that it's going to be a catalyst for for a resurgence of Liz's work because it's just such a cool. It's so good and cool. Like I just like <laughs> love. I feel like this album is so legit. It's not some. It's just I love. I I can see it this album yeah, uh, being uh, developing a cult following. If I, when I was 15 living in rural Vermont, if I got my hands on this album and my only uh, conduit to theater as like a teen growing up outside of New York was cast albums, like Chris is saying, musicals live or die by that, is that this is gonna really, I think, spur a a renaissance of her work, no question. Yeah, and as you mentioned, her revolutionary spirit does sort of fit in with where we are right now uh, in, 
in our lives, uh, I mean, in the life of the I, world. I, I think that Liz, you, as Shana was saying before, like it, Liz, you couldn't separate political theater from Liz. It just was not part of her vocabulary. No matter mm-hmm. what she was doing, there was a reason behind it. And as Shana was saying before, like when you like then get a like spend time in a bubble of Liz, and then you leave yeah. that bubble, and you realize that that's not always the case. It's surprising, but most of the world doesn't see it. Most of the world is surprised when something is political, right? Yeah. But for Liz's stuff, it was just that's just it's in the DNA, no matter what the topic was. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of the before we sign off. Talk a little bit about some of the things that uh, are keeping you all busy these days. Um, first of all, Chris Beetlejuice, yeah. will it be back? A lot of people would like to know. <laughs> I mean, we're hoping. Yeah. <laughs> everybody everybody um, on the team wants it to be back. There, everyone's trying. You know, there are so many question marks in Still, the theater yeah. world and the world in general. And um, so it's it's so hard to say. I, I mean, we're all optimistic and praying and hoping. It, it definitely will be done in other places for sure. Right. Um, but yeah, we're hoping to be back in New York. Um, you know, so, yeah. And Shana, what about for you? You've got several projects that's, that sort of got paused, uh, including the, yeah. there was a return of a, one of your public's work shows as you like it to Shakespeare yeah. in the Park. No, I'm so, I'm, now can't happen. Yeah. I walk, I take walks in the park every day and like mm. have a lot of sad <laughs> walks by the Delacour where I'm like, oh, that was a big, I just would get that. I just feel like the city, if only we could just be gathering, uh, I wish yeah. so that we could do it. But um, yeah, you know, like everyone else, it's just kind of in the holding pattern of waiting, right. of wait and see. And yeah. I'm trying my best to create, you know, fake structure in my life to like, mm-hmm. it, you know, still put deadlines, even though we're not sure when those things will happen. I, I've been trying to like maintain some sense of um, discipline and routine with my writing, which again, right. like goes back to Liz. And that's been trying to keep me sane. It's just still, still working on the projects because if I'm still working on them, it, it just feels like they exist and will exist somehow yeah. someday. Yeah. And the, do you have any, it's, there's probably no way to know any sense of timeline for either suffragists or Devil Wears Prada at this point. Right? I mean, no one wants to know more than me. I'm dying to know. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's just, as I'm sure everyone or anyone in the theater business listening to this podcast can relate to all the Zoom calls of like, well, maybe this, maybe that. And it's <laughs> right. just a humbling moment that no one has the magic ticket and it's yeah. no one has the magic answer. And we all do have to wait and see. And hopefully, yeah, use this time to take a step back and and reflect on how, when we come back, we can make those systems better and more equitable and all the rest. So yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. hoping it can yeah. somehow come out stronger. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, we are looking forward to that day. And in the meantime, we can all listen to the Liz Suedos project. Thank you both for yeah. uh, talking with me about this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you. That was Chris Kugel and Shana Tao two of the artists behind the Liz Suedos Project, now available to buy or stream from Ghostlight Records. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe and find past episodes there and on all the other pod places, including Spotify and on the Broadway Podcast Network, which is a great place to find more theater for your ears. StageCraft is taking a week off next week, but I'll be back the following week with another new episode. Thanks for listening, and see you soon.
Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 